0: When addiction is talked about in the church, it is so easy to default to the plague of pornography. However, so many are struggling with substance abuse such as alcohol, narcotics, methamphetamines, fentanyl, and more intense substances. And these aren't issues for only those we might label as druggies who are in and out of jail. These issues impact those who appear most normal at church. Not to mention the domino effect that a substance abuse addiction can have on a marriage, family, and even a ward. That's why we've put together the Recovering Saints virtual conference, where we have 20-plus authors, medical doctors, addiction specialists, and even those in recovery sharing their perspectives in order to help us as Latter-day Saint leaders be better prepared to minister to those suffering through and overcoming addiction. Recovery is real, even for those considered too far gone. Help is available and we can assist those struggling to find it. To see all the details of the Recovering Saints virtual conference and to register to attend virtually for free, find the link in the show notes or visit leadingsaints.org slash recovering. Hey, if you're a newbie to leading saints, it's important that you know, what is this leading saints thing? Well, leading saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping latter-day saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through content creation. So we have this phenomenal podcast, we have a newsletter, we have virtual conferences, so much more at articles on our website. I mean, I could go on and on, right? (laughs) And we encourage you to uh, jump in, check out Leading Saints, uh, go to the search bar at LeadingSaints.org and type in some topics and see what pops up. We're just glad you're here to join us. Now, in this episode, I'm actually going to share with you the presentation from the upcoming Recovery Saints virtual conference. In this episode, I talk with Kelly Clark and her sister, Heather Warren, who are such an inspiration. Back in May of 2020, Kelly wrote a book called Between Monsters and Mercy, and when I read it, I could not put it down. I highly recommend it. To give you some background, I'd like to read the back cover of the book. Now, just for your information, Kelly got married in the last few years, so so when she wrote the book, she was Kelly Thompson. The back cover reads: When all appears lost, the miraculous power of the atonement of Jesus Christ can heal in the most unlikely places and in the most unlikely ways. In a world where addiction has become the Epidemic of Despair, Between Monsters and Mercy is the incredible true story of author Kelly Thompson's struggle to overcome drug abuse, escape from her life as a prostitute, and leave behind the loneliness and isolation that accompany them. The unexpected loss of her father, the betrayal of a close friend, and the events that quickly followed started a chain reaction of anguish and sorrow that only the healing powers of Christ's Atonement could shatter. Kelly's courage and determination combined with a remarkable vision for deceased father gave her the strength to approach God in humility, trust in His redeeming power, and climb from the evil abyss of addiction into the arms of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. A powerful memoir of hope and forgiveness. Kelly's story is proof that with God's help, anyone can rise from their affliction and walk again towards the light. And I also have to give props to Kelly for helping me behind the scenes with the Recovering Saints virtual conference. I could not have done this without her administrative help of reaching out to potential speakers and lining up recording times. Because of her life experience, she also helped me better understand how to put a resource like this together in order to help church leaders. Today I have some special guests here. We have Kelly Clark and Heather Warren, who are sisters. We are. <laughs> How are you two?
1: We're good. Doing you
0: ready for yeah. this? Jump great. in. Yes, We're excited. we've
1: prayed. Good. We're ready. We're now ready. I first
0: have to give a shout out to Kelly because many people don't realize. I'm, I'm I'm sure you'll get many other shout outs, but you've been helping me behind the scenes put yeah. this event together. I have. It's
1: been wonderful. At
0: the time of this recording, we're in the middle of it. We We, are. I hope this works out. (laughs) Those in the future will know, wow, you put a good thing together. So, and you've been helping me collect stories of of recovering addicts, line up guests, and this is cool. Yeah.
1: It's been really exciting and I've loved being a part of it. And yeah, it's been great.
0: Well, I'm so grateful (laughs) that you agreed to help out (laughs) and uh, we're making it happen. So I first came across your name, Kelly, the book you wrote, Yes. And a better interview would have written that title of the book down so I could stay it here but it remind me that <laughs> so right. I can write it down. Yeah,
1: Between Monsters and Mercy. That's
0: right. And he, was there a subtitle?
1: Yes, but I can't remember. An inspired story of a soul lost and found. Nice. It's been a while since somebody asked me that. Yeah. So. yeah.
0: And I, I I mean I'm always getting sent books from different publishers and reading them and your book was so awesome. I just Thank it you. really touched me and gave me hope. And I just love, I mean, I think naturally we're wired as children of God to appreciate and connect with any story of redemption. And yours definitely is that. And so we're going to go into your story a little bit today, but it's also, Heather, that's your story as well, because as there's so many siblings out there or family members, parents who are just thinking, when will this stop? And the last... We're so afraid of it stopping in the way we don't want yeah. where we lose somebody, you know, and, yes. and so and tragic. So
2: Kelly's story is truly the miracle that, you know, we all hope for and pray for. In it, I mean, watching it was, it felt a, almost biblical. It was yeah. from this extreme to this extreme. I teasingly call her Kelly the Younger because she had the, you know, this side of the story where, you know, and then she came all the way over here where she obviously is a huge part of the missionary effort on bringing you know, yeah. souls back to God. I mean, her, her whole goal these days is is sharing her story. Um, as painful as it was at the time, what a beautiful ending to that, to, yeah. to be able to help others. You know, yeah. she reaches people that most people can't because she can walk into the prisons. And although she wasn't in prison, she can relate to many of their stories. Many have been where she has, and she has... An ability to stand and talk to a homeless man on the street and be able to share hope with that person. And I don't know that mm-hmm. I can stand and be able to do that. She can say, I was where you are. And that's powerful.
0: Yeah. As a sibling, and we'll get into the story, but I'm yeah. sure there were those nights, those moments where he thought this is never going to end. Like this oh, just
2: Yeah. Like years, like years, like years, yeah, decades, years and years. Yeah, yeah, decades, truly, truly, and 40, <laughs> so a long time,
0: yeah. So, so. Kelly, where's a good starting point for oh. maybe, and, and maybe <laughs> just put into context your family, your growing up years, sure. for you know, traditional Latter day Saint family, just doing all the things, sure. or what? Where I would does that say begin? we
1: were a fairly traditional Latter day Saint family. We grew up outside of Utah, so in that way, I guess not so traditional here in Utah culture, but we were. Pretty, yeah, my parents are both converts. And so let's say we were raised pretty pretty normal Latter-day Saint family. <laughs> my mom was relief society president at one point. My dad was in the bishopric and I'm the middle of five children. I would say that we had a pretty a fairly normal growing up years that was, you know, just some normal family dysfunction, but there wasn't any <laughs> major Absolutely. abuse or anything like yeah. that going on. And but for me, I noticed a significant change at about seven or eight years old. It was almost like I went from being this really well adjusted, happy child, a little unaware of myself, to all of a sudden having this hyper awareness, high anxiety, very emotionally sensitive, and could mm-hmm. be set off very easily. And I think everybody noticed it in the family. All was this a like sudden.
0: teenage years or? Oh,
1: like seven and eight years. Oh, old. really? Okay. Right, actually, right around the time I was getting baptized. And it was really, I think, disturbing for our family to watch because I was this fun, easygoing kid. And then all of a sudden, there was something wrong and everybody Mm. could sense it. Um, And so, I was taken in to see different therapists and they said, oh, maybe just some normal sibling rivalry stuff is going on. But they couldn't pinpoint it. But I started doing some strange behaviors like self-injuring pretty Mm. young and everybody didn't think that was normal. It just didn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What do you remember from that time, Heather?
2: Well, as she brought up the self-injuring, I remember that probably most specifically. And she was probably not even 10, maybe eight or nine. And um, yeah, I remember watching her, you know, take her own nails and scrape, just in a panic attack almost, or just scratching her neck. And that was really, I mean, it was, you know, really for a young child, that's hard to watch too. And, you know, my, I just remember embracing her, just going, what is going on? And not understanding what was happening. Yeah you know i think that she had maybe a loud i think i would say now looking back on it i think she had just the volume turned up on that negative voice in our head you know we all have that voice but for some reason kelly's voice was on level 10 volume mm. and so where we would all question ourselves in certain moments or saying something hers was louder and um and it started young and it was painful to watch, you yeah. know. And we were really close And it, I mean I was a few years older, but we were really close as sisters and so it was really Tough to watch that. Yeah.
0: So, was there a, like a diagnosis that came out of that at any oh, point or over
1: <laughs> the years, a yeah. quite a few? Okay. But, you know, once I found recovery and I was able to get sort of a baseline and we were able to really look at it, you know, a generalized anxiety disorder and some tendencies towards depression is really what it is. Mm-hmm. But that anxiety disorder kicking in, I think that was what I was reacting to without getting the right help for mm-hmm. it. So,
0: Yeah, And it wasn't like due to any like specific trauma or abuse that you experienced. It just came up naturally. And yeah, it's just the way I
1: was wired. I believe that. Did that lead
0: into some pretty rebellious teenage years then?
1: Oh, that would be the understatement (laughs) of (laughs) the century. So yeah, it definitely led me toward, I would say the first, my first drug of choice that I picked up as a child was food. And so those in my family, I'm not the only person who struggled with food addiction, but I really Mm. primed my system for addiction with food first. And um, when I picked up alcohol for the first time, it was quite a spiritual experience putting alcohol into my system Mm. because that voice that was constant and sadistic in my mind telling me what a horrible person I was, how unworthy I was, how pathetic I was, just constant, constant. As soon as the alcohol hit my system, I was like, oh, I feel good. Yeah, You know, and I felt confident. And I figured out a way to shut that voice up. And so whatever it was going to take to quiet that voice, it was on. And I realized that really young. It was like, if no one's going to save me from this, I'm going to save myself from this. Mm. So don't tell me I can't do things like this because it's the only thing that's helping.
0: Mm.
1: And that was the truth for behaviors, you know, drugs, alcohol, and I was willing to really have quite extreme behaviors you know, stealing cars and leaving the state as oh, a wow. teenager. Yeah. We have got Before, Before <laughs> driving age. I mean, she was 13 years old. Years old. Yes. Stealing
0: cars. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, the, then the
1: first
2: time she did drink that, I was 17. She was 14, maybe 13 or 14. Yeah. And she ended up in the police station. I was picking her up from the police station. I mean, it wasn't, that was the first time she drank. It wasn't a little bit. It She went straight. Yeah, yeah, so you know,
1: Heather, too. you know, bathed me that night and put me to bed. And where I was spinning and sick from drinking so much, most people would be like, "I am never doing that again." And my thought, I can remember my thought was, "Oh, I can't wait to do this again." You know? Really? Yes, yeah. because the relief was that profound for me. It was yeah. relief. Yeah, and that's yeah. an
0: interesting thing to really sit with as church leaders, because you know, I remember as youth having the word of wisdom lessons, and even at school, you know, the say no to drugs lessons, and it's sort of like we simplify it so much where those that maybe tried it and it's like, this is working for me and right. I haven't found any other solution. And you're just telling me I should say no to drugs. Like, are you kidding me? You right. know, like this is a really good solution for me.
1: It, well, that's yeah. exactly right. And that's yeah. how I felt. And <laughs> there was this part of me, you know, of course I'd been taught truth. I was raised in the church. I knew what was right and wrong, but I had to weigh that against feeling like I was burning alive with my emotions. And hmm. so- over time, what happened is as the addictions progressed and as my life continued to really fall down the tubes and and not, I, you know, I gained scarlet letters and felt that stigma was I really just couldn't see past that. And it was like my identity had become this, and how how do you do anything different? I wouldn't mm. know even how to do anything different. I was watching Heather. Do really well in school and get ready for BYU and get go off and get married in the temple. And I was, you know, I felt like Jan Brady, you know, who had a drug mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. I was never going to live up to Marsha, yeah. you know, in a way, yeah. right? Because it was hard for me to, there was a part of me that wanted it, but I had no idea how to get past that voice in my head saying this is who you are
0: yeah yeah so it was about 13 then that first taste of yes, alcohol yes and that yes. was sort of the launching pad of it was. destruction yes yeah, yeah and i appreciate like sharing this story in the context of both of yours because i think a lot of church leaders can like look at the, the youth like heather like well Heather seems to be doing just fine. Like, what's your problem? And just do what Heather does. And and when in right. reality it's like, no, there's a lot more dynamics happening in your mind than than just like, well, just do just be more like Heather. Just be more kind like
2: Heather that, that is. That brings a level of compassion on the side of hopefully of the church leaders and family members and others. Yeah. You don't know, you don't know what and I think actually, when you read Kelly's book, it was the first time I learned some of the things about Kelly, you know, I, I knew a lot about Kelly, but when she wrote her book, and I first learned some of the really, really difficult things that she had been through, you gain compassion for that person, you understand it is like she explained it, like her body was on fire, her mind was on fire. Could she do at that time, the only solution felt like? Yeah, the drugs and alcohol. And if you're on fire, you're going to do whatever it takes. And I think having that compassion, not just seeing it as a simple choice. So she started drinking and partying and that, you know, it's not that simple. And I think especially in, you know, when Kelly was dealing with depression and anxiety and these things that seemed so different then, you know, now that's common. Now that's common. I think yeah. that kids are dealing with that. It's a strange thing that it was so unusual for her to be going through that in a family of five Really, she was the one dealing with that, and then among my friends, I never saw anybody else. So even kids that were being rebellious, it wasn't because of that. Now it seems like in a family of five, two or three are going to be dealing with that, and you're going to see that. You know, so mm-hmm. understanding that oftentimes that addiction doesn't come just as that simple choice of like, hey, I want to give into peer pressure. It's really taming the beast.
0: You yeah, know? yes. And I'm curious, like this is you know you think about those teenage years just in general. For I mean, we all went through these moments of struggle and, you know, to different degrees, it's just a tough time of life, right? And a part of me just thinks, you know, you just sort of have to bear with it. They'll grow out of it. They'll move on right now. But i hate to give the message to individuals, church leaders, like, well, you know, if, if you have a Kelly in your ward, just buckle up for 20 or 30 years. Here we go. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not a very hopeful message. So, right. with hindsight, like what, I mean, there's therapy, there's counseling, there's all these things to consider. But like, what what advice do you have is like, if you go back in time, like, what did Kelly need that is at that point? That's a really point.
1: great question. And I love looking back at that. And you know, I it's hard because there's a part of me that is so grateful for the journey I went through. And mm-hmm. it was a long journey. It was a difficult, long journey in for all of us. And I wouldn't take it back. But if I were to go back and try to give some advice to young Kelly, it would be to continue to help her turn to the solution the true solution which is God mm-hmm. and under better understanding the atonement of Jesus Christ that was the core once that was in place then the therapy and the other things can be much more useful tools but that faith mm-hmm. having faith in Jesus Christ so anything and everything to support me and putting i would say the youth programs and really surrounding me by those young people who have testimonies and giving me as many opportunities to feel the spirit as possible would have been the most helpful.
0: Yeah. And I think church leaders hear that and be like, "Well, we're doing the Sunday lessons, right, we right. do the activities, like, right. but you know, Kelly's not listening. She just right. she refuses to come or whatnot." And so, yeah, it's just it's really difficult, and I think, right?
2: I think that was a challenge for us as a family as well because there were. Plenty of times when I can look back over those years, and she had glimpses. And I I, always it was like the awakenings moment, you know, where she would just have these glimpses, and she could see for this brief moment, she could feel the spirit in that moment, she could understand it. And I remember one event in particular. She was actually probably in her twenties, and her kids were young, and we went and sat by the temple. She was living in Provo at the time, and and or in Orem at the time, and we went and sat by the Provo Temple, and. In this moment, we were talking with a friend who had had conversion story. And she was Kelly was frustrated by the fact that this friend had had such an intense witness of the spirit. And she had felt like she didn't have that. Why don't I have that? I've been a member of my whole life. Why don't I get that? Mm. Why don't I experience that? And in that exact moment, God gave it to her. Mm. He showed her what that felt like. And I wasn't even feeling it, which was bizarre. She all of a sudden started almost- to sh- describe what the... She's like, what is that? What it is was that? so and weird,
1: like a very intense, almost out of body experience mm-hmm. with the spirit. It was a really mm-hmm. intense physical manifestation of the spirit. And it's so funny that you mentioned that all these years later, but it was such a powerful moment for me. And it was enough to stick around for a few days. It like was I a was few like, days. okay, <laughs> I get it. Like, you know. But she
2: actually, it was like her eyes opened yes. in yeah. that moment. She could see why we were trying to share these things with her. She could see, but in that, It was just a glimpse. And then, you know, she she was Mm -hmm. at the time, I think, was smoking and had other things that were still drawing her back into a different, Mm -hmm. just say, a different frequency, you know? And so, she was continuing to be pulled back. So, I would say, but one thing we did talk about before, you know, coming in, and I think one thing really important to remember is when she finally got there to the end of this road that she had to journey, every single one of those experiences taught her where she needed to turn when Mm -hmm. it was time. So, none of it's wasted. You know, every time there had been a spiritual moment, she knew she was a light being in a very, very dark place. You know, it took her a long time to figure that out, that, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this is real. These, you know, even the entities are real. And yet, you know, she was able to see, I'm not that. I'm not the darkness. So, what, you know, and she was able to see that. And, you know, all those little glimpses through the years Ultimately, you know, whether that's from a bishop or from, you know, a home teacher or from, Missionary. you know, the missionaries were a big part of her journey. And I think all of those things those, never all those weren't wasted. Up. They yeah. were seeds that, you know, when it was time, she was able to then reach back and go, I learned this. I know this. And that's a lot of the conversations in that. Time of recovery. Yeah, was,
0: I, I think that's, that's really good. just helpful and encouraging for to tell youth mm-hmm. leaders or church leaders or parents like just wait around for those glimpses and be present in those glimpses. Yeah. And yeah. of course, when you're present there, you're thinking, I hope this, this she just stays moment. here forever. <laughs> right. right. And, and yeah. Not, yeah. it's not a few day thing, yeah. but. It may be, but that those glimpses have that gravitational pull. I mean, that's it that's is. the grace of Jesus Christ that is always just pulling us yeah, through yeah. those experiences and reminding us who we really are. Right? That's
1: right, and I think they, those were like little touchstones throughout yeah. my life. So when the time came when this moment of surrender really truly happened in my life, I knew where it was, and it mm-hmm. was it was just yeah, unbelievable at that yeah. point to to recognize. Oh my goodness! It was all it yeah. was all true the whole time. <laughs>
0: so you go through the, those teenage years, you're stealing cars, doing all sorts of things. Like you're just yes, just it's some chaos is maybe a good way yes, to sum yeah. up. And your parents are they're just praying and hoping that. How would you articulate your our, parents? Our experience? family
2: was at that point in time. By the time she was on her really dark road, our family kind of had broken apart. Hmm. My dad had made some life choices and it just it really took the family apart so there was a lot of darkness coming in from all angles gotcha. yeah, and
1: then we lost and our dad in 1990 we lost, yeah, he passed and I was away 15. when I was mm-hmm.
2: yeah I was 18 she was
0: 15 oh, yeah. so it's like so another layer of, suddenly of, a trauma, attack. Right. A yep. of trauma Right. And so
2: that was really the beginning of her difficult path you know yeah. we think the young years were hard but it got worse wow. you know? mm-hmm. and losing him so suddenly he was only 40, 46 wow. years old when he passed so but I think you know talking about that you know that next round was not easy you know and yeah. and it continued for lots of years yeah. so
1: exactly.
0: so did you i mean drop out of high school type thing and i mean you're just spiraling in every department of life
1: yes every department of life for <laughs> sure part you know i had had some traumatic experiences young as well and i began acting out and became very promiscuous as part of my behavior mm-hmm. Behaviors, And so, by the time I was 20, I had two children and placed both of those babies for adoption. Mm. And those were very difficult stigmas that I'd given myself that was very hard to get over. So, it was... It was like, well, then how do you ever really go back and like it do the deal?
0: Amplified the voice in your head, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. see yes. that I was right. Proof you know, were yeah. right.
1: Well, all and all sudden, and how yeah. could you? Then it's almost like I doubled down and went into the life I was already heading down because what was I going to do? Go live on campus and marry someone and get married in the temple with this history? Like, mm. we I don't even have we don't even speak the same language anymore. Mm. So, that convincing of who I was, I really truly believe had I understood the atonement, I could have gotten past that. But but the adversary was so good at convincing me that there was no going back. This is who I was now, especially given some of those, those things that hold stigma that I could only see through the world's eyes. Of. And so, yeah. So, that wow. yeah, it was hard.
0: So, you're in your early 20s, you've already had two kids. Yes. But- I mean, how would you define your twenties? What did what did the twenties look oh, like?
1: Just difficult. I was, ma- I ended up being married and having two children in that relationship.
0: So two additional, two mm-hmm. additional.
1: Okay. Also, at one point, left my husband for a short period of time and got pregnant, and then placed that child for adoption. So. And off and on with the drugs, when I did manage to scrape together some months of sobriety, my mental health spiraled and I started doing some pretty serious cutting that would land me in the wow. hospital. Um, and so that was a pattern. Then I would get back on drugs and I would seem to be functioning, at least from my family's eyes. It was like, okay, well, this looks better because she's not you know, in the emergency room every three months. And mm-hmm. so So that was the pattern. It was very difficult because I so wanted to be a good mother. I was finally getting the opportunity to be a mom and to not be able to, uh, I'll get emotional, but to want that so bad for them and to not know what to do in order to be that for them, Mm -hmm. to not have the skills and not have the ability. It was like if I tried to get clean and sober, the mental health spiraled. If I was on the drugs, at least I was sort of functioning and dealing Mm -hmm. with the pain and it was, and it just, you know, that you could only go on like that for so long before things, the crisis hits and things tumble. And that's eventually what happened is I divorced. I ended up back in Utah to be near family, swore up and down. This is it. This is the this change. was another
2: one of those
0: glimpses. Like this is my rock bottom, the missionaries right? had it.
1: found her in, yes. in Minnesota. The missionaries
2: had found her. And that was another glimpse. And she had gotten clean for a short period, came back to Utah, moved close to us and had Probably a year of sobriety. I don't know how long. Yeah, maybe even
1: maybe even almost two years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, really into the food addiction. So my weight was higher than it had ever been. So you're really miserable like that to mm. be at 300 pounds, but to be clean and sober, it was sort of like I'm white knuckling this, and I'm getting more and more miserable in my body. I'm actually doing really well in my career because I decided to do that addictively. So here it was, oh, wow. I was finally <laughs> doing something and, and I was good at it. And so that felt really good to throw myself into that. But it wasn't enough because there was no foundation. There was no spiritual foundation. Yeah. So eventually it cracked and I, I was back to doing the same old thing. And I found heroin here in Utah for the first time. And I added that to my meth and alcohol problem. And it was about two months after I started using heroin that, that the entire bottom fell out. Yeah. And I went from...
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a common thing I'm hearing in d- different stories. It's almost like the, the coping through the stigma and the non-stigma, right? The I cope through drugs and okay, I know that's bad, but you know, I don't just cope with eating and that's at least it's not drugs, right? right. But you're still coping or even with a career, yes. but we're, you're never really addressing the problem. Never right?
1: addressing the problem, and, which is yeah. the disease of addiction. Yeah. It's truly... Wow. It's truly a miserable way to be. It is it is a be it's putting behaviors and other things before God and it is an obsession of the mind that takes away all of your peace of mind.
0: Yeah. 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 Is there anything I don't know if this is a relevant question but is is it worth understanding like what drugs you were using and does that bring in different things or just matter like you were just out of control? <laughs>
1: I was just out of control yeah. I, you know with anything and everything. But at the end what I was doing like when I lost everything, my daughters were one daughter went with one sister. Another daughter went with Heather, and eventually they both ended up with Heather. And I ended up on the streets in Salt Lake City. That was using heroin and meth, IV, mm-hmm. IV drug using, and
0: uh, yeah. Because I would imagine, I are some. I would imagine some drugs. And this, you only speak your own experience, maybe. But like, you can be, you can like have some normalcy in life and use the drugs and other drugs, it's like you're either on the street using it or yes. you're not heroin
1: using it. Heroin most definitely is one of those drugs that yeah. takes everything and there's no break from it ever. Because the wall of withdrawal and dope sickness is so incredibly painful and such a long process that you will do anything and everything to to stay on mm-hmm. heroin. Because if there's a wall you have to get through which is like it's difficult to describe but yeah. it is like it's a spiritual attack it's a physical attack it is like going yeah. through hell. Yeah.
0: So the, during these, you know, years where your sister's homeless and just completely out of control again I I'm using general yeah. terms but I mean what
2: yeah. I'll cry during this part. Yeah, what this what was that incredibly like? Incredibly painful. Yeah incredibly hard to watch Mm. you know incredibly hard to watch and
0: and when you say hard to watch like are you you're just aware you don't know where she's at or we
2: had times we didn't know where she was most often we had a phone number but there were you know we she would stay places for a short period of time we would know when she was in a place for a period of time it was hard to be in touch on a daily basis she was with dangerous people and it was tough to be around it. We would meet her at times, and I have memories of meeting her different, you know, crazy hotels in Salt Lake City for a short period of time where she would be staying, Or, but it was always awful. It -hmm. was awful. I can remember one time hugging her, and she was so thin at this point, so sick, and just, I mean, I knew how sick she was, and I remember hugging her thinking this would be the last time I would see her. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, Either she's going to disappear and I'm not going to see her again. Like she's just going to disappear. Nobody will know what happened, which is a terrifying thing for a family member to think they could disappear and you just don't ever know. Are they alive? Are they dead? Are they, you know, where are they? And which I'm sure happens to many families. But we had at different times, different family members had some contact. We all were trying to reach out, but also, you know, we were raising her kids and we were trying to keep that space you know, healthy too. It was, it was tough. It was such a tough space, Yeah, Yeah, such a tough space. So
0: how do you like in just from my experience seeing different movies from Hollywood, like (laughs) this concept of enabling, right? I mean, your inner sense is you want to bring Kelly home and here, move in with me. I'm going to just, you know, this codependency dynamic. I'm just going to, I will do this recovery for you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how do you learn how to act as a family member? (laughs)
2: good conversation, you
0: know, Um, so that you're not enabling or making it worse when it feels like you're making it better.
2: I will say I spent the majority of my life probably in an unhealthy codependent relationship with Kelly. Mm. To me, it felt like I was being Christ-like. It felt like I was loving her unconditionally. It felt like I was giving her everything I could, which would mean, you know, trips to the hospital in the middle of the night, whether I had babies at home or not, it meant, you know, meeting up with her wherever she was where you know, whatever she needed, I was afraid if I didn't, she would die. I mean, literally, I thought if I don't go tonight, she might die. Yeah. And that came frequently, that thought. And so I would go. And I I don't even know that I was angry about it. I loved her and I wanted to help her. And I always wanted to be able to give her hope. It did put strain on my own family. It did put a lot of strain on my own family. I mean, Kelly had lived with us when she was pregnant with her with her first son. She had lived with us for a period of time. There's just a lot of was a lot of difficulty, but I loved Kelly. Mm -hmm. And so that was the constant balance for me. What was healthy? What was unhealthy? I didn't know at the time. I do know that there was a moment when it's interesting how God works because Mm -hmm. he gives us both lessons in our own experiences, right?
0: And my mind's just going to Elder Hall and he talks about the other prodigal, right? The the prodigal daughter, but there's also something happening with the other son or the other daughter.
2: Yeah. And I had... I was grieving when Kelly left. I was grieving for the loss of Kelly. Kelly had worked with me and we had been together for the seven years prior, really on a daily basis and had shared our kids' lives. And she lived just down the street. And there was so much of that time period that was as a norm, it was a normal-ish, you know, knowing there was mental illness, that in our brain, it was mental illness. I didn't understand the extent of the addiction at this point. And so we were just doing our best to kind of keep her family together. And But I was grieving when she left. I was afraid for what would happen to her. And I was kind of angry too with God trying to understand. We'd given so much, you know, and how could it come to this? How could it come to her on the streets? And, you know, we had tried so hard. We had done so much. How could it come to her being on the street? It made me angry, you mm-hmm. know, and I have her kids now and I'm trying to grieve and now be strong for these kids. And my own kids are going through their own thing too, because we had just added, you know, we have the one daughter, but we had the other daughter off and on on weekends so that the two girls could be together. And eventually, about a year later, she came to live with me, the second daughter. So we ended up with both. But but I also, at that moment, you know, I remember getting on my knees and I remember just begging God at that point in time to say, please. And I think this is what I would say is that the atonement isn't just for sin, sometimes that suffering is, you know, too much for us to bear. It was too much. And Mm -hmm. I needed to be strong for these kids. And I thought she was gonna die. So I was grieving my sister. And I remember getting on my knees and begging God at that moment in time to just take it, you know, and it was in a weird way. We've talked about this more recently that at the same time, she was figuring out how to surrender. I was also figuring out how to surrender. You know, I was figuring out how to surrender in a different way. I had to turn over my greatest fear, the loss of my sister at that time, you know, and I also had to surrender. And the most miraculous thing came out of that, you know, that that I was given peace. I was given, and it lasted. It was not short for me when I finally was like, and I remember words coming into my mind that I've got this. (laughs) I was like... Are you sure? It's not looking so much like you've got this. (laughs) But he's like, I've got this. And I thought, okay, then I just even if it meant death, I had to trust that God had it, that God knew what he was doing and he was gonna take this because I couldn't be where she was. It was it was too dangerous and and I needed to be where I was raising the kids and and but I but he gave that and I've often described it as like a marshmallow. It was almost like there was a just a spiritual separation that happened. That gave me I could hear her and I could talk to her, but I didn't feel the depth of everything she was saying. I didn't feel it in the same way. And God left that in place until the moment that it lifted when I needed to come back and help. You know, when it was time for her to yeah. when she was finally doing her part, God was like, Okay, it's time to help again. And that came probably four years later. Yeah. So he left yeah. that marshmallow <laughs> as a marshmallow in place during that time. But it was a gift and I got to see the power of God. You know, I got to see what God can really do when I let go, yeah, like I had been playing God in a way, you know,
0: yeah, I mean, for everybody involved, this really is a journey of surrender, right. And yeah, I guess right. you could summarize mortality that way for all yeah. of us. It's like God is just waiting for us. Are you ready to give it all to me now, right and do it And of course, we want the the biblical story of Heather Brace, and the next day, Kelly has this enlightenment that <laughs> changes her life, and everything's good, right? But I love that the concept of the marshmallow, just like, there's just going to be this time, this space where it's like, it appears like nothing's working, but like God is still in that.
2: Yeah, that's right. right. And it's terrifying to say, even if she dies, you yeah, know, I think right. of that Kelly was not my child. She was yeah. my sister. And I think of those people who are parents, but having that moment of, even if she dies, I have to trust yeah. that God's got this. He's still got even it. Even yeah. if she dies. And that was a moment of pure surrender, you know, and- Really trusting that God would take care of it, you know. Yeah. And I think if I were to say something to a bishop, I would say, "Teach, surrender." Again, it goes back to the atonement. Mm-hmm. What's the answer? It's always the same. Yeah, it's focus on Christ. Let Him take the burden. Let Him carry you. And even when it doesn't look like it's working out, sometimes you know, you know, yeah. the hellstorm that came after that. <laughs> I think, how is it? But yeah. it was, it was miraculous. It and, was, it, and
0: I love that. That uh, underscore of uh, uh, surrender, because even in the moment of atonement, like Christ modeled surrender, surrender like yeah. if not my will, then divine, yeah. right? And so, surrender is such a core component of of all this of the struggle of the suffering and whatnot, yeah. and
2: right? whatever happens, yeah, whatever I surrender
1: there, yeah. And there was truly, as she passed the baton over to God, there was magic that happened on my end too, because I felt spiritual let go. And I think some of the unhealthy codependent behaviors that she and I had done, that dance we had done where Heather will come in and save me if I have enough problems. Mm. All of a sudden, I knew Heather wasn't coming. She wasn't coming. And and I I hate the term tough love because I don't believe that's what it was. It was it was different than that. It was a, it was a surrender. It was what needed to happen. It wasn't tough love. She wasn't doing something to me to punish me. It was what needed to happen. She passed the baton to God. And then I was left in this situation where I had begun at that same time asking God and turning to God for the first time and asking him to give me the willingness to be willing. Hmm. Because I knew that if anything was ever going to change, he was going to have to create those circumstances for me that I, I was too sick, I was too gone, and could not even understand how to get... It was like being on the moon, that's how I describe it. Being on the moon, everybody else lives on earth, and I'm there without a rocket, and I'm like supposed to be there. There's no way for me to get there under my own power. Hmm. Absolutely not. And so as she let go, I felt that spiritual let go. And as I began to turn to God over some very difficult couple of years that I would describe as being my Gethsemane, you know, where God really, I said, you know, create the circumstances and I'll live through them. Help me to be able to fully surrender. And he did. It's like praying for patients, care for what you pray for. But there were <laughs> some experiences that happened that were so incredibly terrifying and difficult. But he protected me in those and he allowed me to have those experiences so that I could have a breaking point. And Mm -hmm. without Heather to turn to as my higher power, all of a sudden I had an opportunity to turn to the true source of power. And in that darkness, I did begin to like little things like in the fear of those circumstances would sing those primary songs that I knew and remembered the things I learned as a child.
0: Can you take us like to some of those? Yes. like take us into those moments. where Where were you what What does that look like? I think?
1: So hard to describe. Yeah. Um, I was trapped in a group of really evil people for about eighteen months and being abused and not able to get out of it. I was really being manipulated and abused, and so it' was very difficult to describe. But in that situation of living in that much fear, and
2: honestly seeing that much evil.
1: It was really, I believe that Lord allowed some of that veil to be lifted so that I could see really the reality that this wasn't really about drug abuse. And this wasn't really about anything other than the adversary really fighting for my soul. And when I came to understand that, it was like, that was the moment. Like I am not that. I don't want to be that. I know who I am and I know that I choose God. Like I may not understand how to get out of this addiction or out of this group of people, but but I know that I would turn to God, that I I do love people. I am, I'm not And so I began in that darkness and in that terror to turn to God and to pray to him. And where I was very angry with him and very afraid of him for so many years, all of a sudden he became my best friend. Mm. You know, if you're, it was a little bit of. I just Some of those spiritual doors can open. And so I reached for him in that. And in sort of this tumbling of darkness, he became my anchor. And, and it didn't matter anymore. I had a feeling of unconditional surrender. It didn't matter anymore if I died. It didn't matter anymore as long as God knew that my heart was his. Like mm. It was going to be okay. Mm. And um, once that shift happened to me and I became willing to just do the next thing that God wanted me to do in those first few days... Those things were showing love to people who really didn't care if I lived or died, showing weakness to people who, who devour people who are weak. But I was willing to do that. I was willing to show up and do that. and
2: yeah, and I, I think one of my the story that comes to mind when you ask that question was, and she was not in the state of Utah at this time, but she was definitely in a den of wolves, so we'll probably put it that way, but she one night had to leave where she was staying after having been abused, she had a broken hand, I believe, and was walking barefoot to the hospital to be seen after being mistreated. And she looks up and the name of the hospital is Mercy Hospital. Mm. But it was one of the times when she really surrendered, you know, was one of the times that she really surrendered. And it was again, it's so awful to think that it takes (laughs) no We used to joke that if Kelly hit rock bottom, she'd pull out a shovel and
1: <laughs> start taking <digging. laughs> a pickaxe.
2: But yeah, it was then, and this is again, four years since my prayer, or nearly four years since my prayer, she started reaching out to the family again. She started mm-hmm. reaching out. But at this time also, I will add, since we're talking to church leaders, her, the missionaries in the area were reaching out to her as well. And she was receiving a huge dose of the spirit from them. I mean, she was really able to connect with them. They were teaching her. They were, you know, she was able to receive priesthood blessings from them. She was getting guidance from the bishop. Yes.
1: And this was after Heather had had, had come back in and my family helped me get away from this group of people. And there was a bit of a transitional period mm-hmm. where I stayed clean and sober and really proved myself that I was willing to go through with the withdrawal Showing up, any Mm -hmm. suggestion they gave me, I took. Any of the suggestion those missionaries gave me, I took. I was willing to walk, you know, through Mm snowstorms to get to the chapel. And my family watched me start showing up in that willingness. And Mm -hmm. it was like, even though, you know, I it was just different.
2: She had gotten herself off of the heroin, off of the meth. She couldn't get herself off the alcohol on her own, but she did go to a facility where she was and she was able to go in and she checked in for six or eight weeks, I think. And during that time, she was able to get off of the alcohol. At this point, we are starting to have some pretty intense conversations about what's what's next. And also at the same time, this whole crazy world that we know once she leaves this facility, she's walking back out to and has no other place to go. Mm -hmm. But at this point, the Spirit was really working on us. And I think that's another really key thing is that for each person's story, it's going to be individual. I don't know what the moment is for each person in there when God says it's time to help. Because it isn't, I never looked at it like tough love. I looked at it like I had to turn it over to God. I couldn't do it, you know?
0: That surrender love or something. It was the surrender.
2: And, and I never looked at it like tough love. I wouldn't probably have done that. I couldn't do that. I wasn't a tough love kind of person. I never have been. But in that moment, I started to feel the promptings again. How can we help? What can we do? And I, I do remember having the feeling these people have no idea the power that's behind her once mm. because she looked like a homeless girl, <laughs> you know, yeah. she looked like a homeless girl with no family or anybody that loved her. And I thought... Once she got to this place, and again, she had gotten herself through God really there. I didn't, that was really without the family's help. She had gotten sober. And I don't know that again, for everybody's story, it's the same thing. Some people may need to help their family member get to a rehab center. We tried that. It didn't really work at the time. But at that moment, I knew it was time. And we helped as much as we could while still allowing her to stand on her own feet. And that was a years long journey through recovery for her also healing her brain. You know, there's a lot of trauma in all of that. And it took a while for the, her brain to come out of the trauma. You know, all of us really yeah. <laughs> it took years yeah. for all of us to come out of that trauma. So.
0: Is there any dynamic or principle you missed as far as the the journey down into the darkness? I mean, do <laughs> I don't, I don't we, think we sum so. it up pretty well? I mean, mm-hmm. so now, I mean, this is, she begins to reach out and you can see through Kelly's efforts that, okay, there, there may be a shift here. Like this isn't just enabling, but if we run to her and help her, like she's showing the effort to that she's asking for help. Right. Yeah. And this is the beginning of the climb out, would you say? Right. The beginning well, of I would recovery. Say it
1: was the beginning of witnessing the miracles of God in our yeah, family. it was hugely
2: witnessing
1: There were that. some really conspicuous moments with God that were like, we were all like, is this really happening? Like it was yeah. so amazing. So there's that. The church did a little video about the moment I, I prayed. I went out and prayed and I was so discouraged. I had just moved to Denver and um, was going to sleep in my my niece's <laughs> walk-in closet in her little brownstone apartment. She had a little studio apartment, but that was going to be the place for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, and it was fine. But anyway, we it was Saturday night and I, I was like in the middle of a drug-infested community. I was only five weeks clean and sober and I'm thinking – how am I going to stay clean and sober here? I'm still dealing with trauma and I am in the middle of a drug infested community and I'm terrified. And I will say we had prayed to get her to this To get point. her to this yeah. We knew this is
2: where she
0: was. This to, was progress, like, we had, right?
2: She had prayed. We had prayed. We felt like this was the answer.
1: Sorry. And I was deb- mm-hmm. like, my phone won't work in the building. I go out back to, I was still smoking cigarettes at the time. I go out back to smoke a cigarette. It's dark and cold. It was about this time of year. And there's drug paraphernalia in the in the back alley. It's just
0: like calling to you, right? Just
1: like, I, mm. and I bawled. I start bawling and I'm like, God, like I am trying so hard. Like, how can this be the answer? How can mm. I stay clean and sober here? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I was trying the praying thing. So here I am, I'm praying and I was just sobbing. I was so terrified to be there. And I walked inside to the building and, and went inside and I took my shoes off and I was hanging up my coat and there's a, a knock at the door and i open the door and there are two sister missionaries standing <laughs> on the other side of the door and and i'm blown away by this experience our our whole family was i call heather and i'm like you will never believe like what, what happened these sister missionaries showed up right after i prayed and they had literally felt impressed to come they waited out front. You couldn't get buzzed in. You had to wait for someone to let you in if mm. you didn't have a key. So while I was out back smoking a cigarette, they're out front waiting and they're determined. They walked through that bad neighborhood in the dark to get and in love. and out the they door. They didn't know she was there. They wasn't didn't know like they well. were there. <laughs> searching
2: for Kelly. They had my niece, nobody knew she was there.
1: Who had been a less active member for some time. And that was finally after a year, the moment they decide. The moment they decide. And with that one exchange, that one experience, it was like It was like God saying to me, like you know, Kelly, like I'm so excited to be able to show you what I can do with your faith. Here Mm -hmm. it is, you exercise faith, and here I am, and I am here, and I care, and I love you, and all of those things. And then it was like the sister missionaries bringing everything that they had, which is the Book of Mormon and their faith and the spirit that comes with them. And it was this domino experience. I knew the Book of Mormon was true. I'm reading about Lehi and his family and. And the iron rod and the tree of life, and all that. And I got to I and I'm like, she yeah. was
2: devouring this information. <laughs> wow. She was, she still does. It's I mean, like, it, was it is like starving it- in the
1: darkness. Yeah. And then all of she a sudden, was, a light. she's far more
2: of a scriptorian <laughs> than I ever was or will be. She has listened to, I think, every general conference talk that has ever existed. Yeah, More than once, any of them, I think.
1: So yeah. She just devours we, it. We often it's, laugh like, how did I become the goody two-shoes of the family? <laughs> but I have. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> it's is, it's, Love it. it's yeah. all sw- switched upside it's down, is
0: not it? And I guess the thing I want to point yeah. out here that I'm learning is like, you know, You needed, you couldn't have had that experience right after shooting up heroin and being like, God, where are you? Like, you just needed, you took a few of those steps to, you're a place where it was still sort of a chaos. It wasn't ideal by any means, but then God was able to come there. And then that thirst for that, for scripture, for prayer, that was being consumed. Because I sometimes worry we simplify it so much of just... And it's not like you didn't pray before. No. You were praying. We, it but was, it, it, it was. Things need to be in place, step, right?
1: One step. And yeah. I believe that Lots there were. Steps. There were like little periods where God was like, are you going to prove yourself in this situation, Kelly? I'm going to be here for you, but you've got to exercise faith and we're going to get you through this piece of it. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, well, now you're not quite so homeless. Now you live in a closet in Denver. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you don't have money yet. And you're still My favorite moment is there was yeah. a
2: – she had like one blanket in this closet in Denver and she had just gotten there. And there was a homeless – lady. I think it was a homeless There lady. were homeless people There were homeless people yes. everywhere. She gave them her blanket because they were outside in the cold and she wasn't. Oh, so wow. then she was
1: using her coat as a blanket. I'm like... My family kept sending me blankets because I kept
2: giving them away.
1: <laughs> oh,
2: <nice. laughs> she kept giving away but, the blankets yes, to the homeless but people. But. It,
1: but I believe like yeah. there were... It was the beginning of our whole family experiencing miracles and I think after so much difficulty and so many years of like struggle to watch God show up and have the whole family sort of watching this unveiling of miracles yeah. one after another it was another. amazing it was like it I is said, it is still was, amazing it
2: was biblical for me <laughs> yeah. I had never I had seen miracles in my life I had never seen them to that extent yeah. and to that level and watching that happen with her willingness over and over and over again was incredible yeah. to watch it was amazing
0: Tell me just about the dynamics of coming, you know, getting clean from, especially with heroin and things. I mean,
1: because
0: yes. in the movies you see them going to this facility and they shake on the bed, you know, they're yes. giving medications like or yeah. whatever. <laughs> but I mean, did you, did you have to go to a facility Were you able to figure out on your own? And then yeah. even with overcoming alcohol and things like that, like what, sure. did, what did this actually look like?
1: So it was, it was a process. Um, I got off the heroin before I got off the meth. So the heroin, I I left the state. That's how I ended up in a different state because I needed to get off of it so far away from my drug dealers that I could get through the withdrawal. Once I was sick, I wouldn't have the ability to get back to Utah to Mm. my drug dealers. And I'd be too sick to go out and look for it where I was. So I left the state in order to detox. But I found meth where I was detoxing off the heroin. So I was able to stay on the meth, but finally get some freedom from that ticking time clock of heroin. So so is it
0: one of the, like, is you, or your body's, you know, processing it all and and you're, you're sick, but once you're through that, you can maybe think, okay, I I can do the next day type thing rather than. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You were sick for about a week though, physically. Yeah. Very sick. And she was alone in a hotel room during that time. She was alone by herself.
0: And
1: still having to support myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you just knew, I just need to get through the detox yes. and then maybe I can get through the getting off the meth yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Just really like wanting to live. I had had a traumatic experience in Utah with my, my drug dealers and I was so angry about what happened and so traumatized that I was unwilling to get, I would like to say I left to like get off the heroin because I wanted to live, but really I just was very spiteful and did not want them to get my money anymore after yeah. what happened, so yeah. You know, yeah. but
0: and then getting off the meth—I mean, did you have to do the same type of thing because you found it in a new place, yeah, or?
1: Yeah, no, meth is a little bit different to come off of. So physically, it's not quite as terrible of a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're tired for about a week, and and it and it you crave it mentally, but physically, it's it's a lot less yeah. traumatic. Gotcha. Yeah, the alcohol. I did have them, I was on a cardiac unit, just they wanted to make sure that everything was going to be okay with my heart because I was drinking a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: And that's, I mean, you don't need a dealer for alcohol, right? You just need a supermarket or The corner store, Yeah, exactly, Um, yeah.
2: I think it's important to point out too, we had talked about this during our... When they're coming off, Satan is at war. Oh, yeah. Trying to bring you back. I mean, we talked about the crazy, some of the crazy experiences that she would just be walking randomly on her walk for the day. And as she's trying to come off of, I think it was meth at the time, there was a loaded meth pipe sitting on her walk and it just just happened
1: to me twice. twice. Yeah. Just wow. I mean say how random is that? Yeah. Of course that I mean, never happened when, happened when I was you so not that. only do
0: not <laughs> only do sister missionaries yeah. show up on one side of the battle, right. but on the other side right. just random
1: there's battle
2: there is a drug battle on bef- both sides. And you, know, you have to be aware up. of it. It is that you literal. have to know it. And yeah. you have wow. to and she was determined that at that point in time. It was, you know, but I will say, you know, it it's a war and you know, God is stronger, mm-hmm. but it is a war happening on both sides. And, yeah. you know, he does not want, you know, he doesn't want to give you back, if you know what I mean. yeah, He's ready to do whatever it takes. And
0: So what happens after the closet and winter coat uh, arrangement? <laughs> Where do you go from there?
1: I ended up up in um, McCall, Idaho, which is this beautiful little town that my mm. parents were living in, my mom and stepdad. And they gave me the opportunity to live with them for a few months. And it was like, absolute heaven because my mom's house is like amazing and she like it's isn't
0: mom's house always amazing oh
1: my gosh i can remember sleeping in her bed like the first time like i had literally been living in a closet in denver and so mom's house is like everything's the best and so like i'm and she's got my down comforter and the dogs are there the fire's crackling she's baking cookies and i'm like i am in heaven (laughs) where i couldn't have appreciated it before because i wasn't ready but all of a sudden like i was able to see this opportunity of being with her and i didn't ever think i was going to see my mom again you know so to see her was just amazing and she and i had those few months of you know she took care of me i was still dealing with a lot of the ptsd symptoms pretty acute symptoms And she really helped me through that. And we had our own prodigal son moments of healing. and It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And then, yeah, from there, I moved out on my own.
0: And And were you able to sort of start getting some consistency? Because the the dealer's not around the corner, right? right? And so, you could sort of take that next step with the help. I did. I I
1: started attending community 12-step programs. I started attending AA. And then also the church's addiction recovery program. Mm -hmm. And- My ARP missionaries up in McCall, Idaho, (laughs) the Dillons, because I love them so much. I have to say their names. I love them. (laughs) They are my people. um, We are still such good friends. They're amazing, amazing people who just took me under their wing there. It is like the Lord seriously just had this and picked them. All these people, amazing people to just be there where I went from really being around vultures to all of a sudden being around these people who I felt like I've known for eternity who mm. just wanted the best for me and wow. um, still and do. And that ward there, and that's,
2: you know, I think another thing was unbelievable. I mean, she had a gentleman offer her a home for a very reasonable rent so that she could mm. live alone. Because one of the traumatizing things sometimes is being around other people mm. after you've come out of that kind of a space. So he had a and she was able to have this little, little home. And up to that point, it had been almost impossible for her to think of being you know able to afford to yeah. have her own home and the rent was really reasonable and i knew i mean i when i met him he was the sweetest and i knew he was doing that to help her out and yeah. it was the cutest little place and she was able to be there and have a space where she could heal and create that spiritual you know energy that she needed you know in this little space where she could stay protected but the bishop was amazing an angel on earth I mean, he was unreal. When yeah. you think of the way her story plays out and how that would be coming in, I mean, they were amazing. They really embraced her with open arms. Were so excited to have her share. She was given opportunities to, as she began speak to heal and, conference. and yeah, so, yeah speak things it. like that. Mm-hmm. And they were, I mean, they were really embracing her story she's pretty easy to like if you
0: haven't
2: (laughs) (laughs) noticed she's like i'm
1: humble too
0: (laughs) (laughs) so and during that time like from your point of view and your family just like she's finally doing it like what was what was the feeling or the experience like
2: i you know i kept just i just felt so grateful honestly i think i just and to this day i still feel that same feeling of just grateful seeing her mm. heal and watching this miracle it blows your mind it blows mm. your mind you really your testimony increases like crazy because how seeing the extreme on this side to the extreme on this side is is nothing short of miracles yeah. <laughs> you know even family members and friends and people that were around it's it, you know i think of the the chosen the show the chosen mm-hmm. and um you know, the beginning of the story, and there's the woman Mary, who's, you know, and she's, you know, ultimately becomes a follower of Christ, but at the beginning, yeah, it was like that. Yeah. And when you see her and Nicodemus, that's right, right, who yes, sees Nicodemus, her. Yes. He sees her and he's like, I can't believe you that's Kelly. Yeah. If you met her before and you saw her now, her physical appearance has changed, her countenance has changed she is joyful. Mm -hmm. I mean, she is joyful. I think that is such a huge message that it isn't just getting off the drugs and getting clean because people can get off and they're miserable sometimes. It is getting off and actually having joy and and a light. I just said that
1: to explain that to somebody the other day where, um, I think I did a post about it where, you know, people, you might look back because there is a dividing line in my life and you might look back and think it was the day I got clean and sober, but it's not. Is the day I started exercising faith in Jesus Christ. That is the dividing line in my life.
0: Wow. That's and powerful. the joy.
2: I mean, then we get to experience every every time she shares and brings another soul. You know, we get to hear these. I mean, they have a friend coming from California, a man who's been in prison, who... Did you interview him? I feel like maybe you interviewed him. Uh, oh, him. There's Mark? Lamar. Lamar. Lamar's oh, I have a story. Okay, we'll share his story, Yes, I hope you do share a story. But... I mean, he's coming to spend Christmas with them, and and just it it is a ripple effect that is it's amazing to watch. It's it's you can't once you've seen it, it's hard to deny the power of
0: God. That's you awesome. know, once
2: you've seen it, it's hard to deny it. Yeah,
0: so cool. Anything you'd say is because obviously there's the family dynamic that's happening where it's mm-hmm. like, am I enabling codependency to too much? So I need to surrender? <laughs> and then there's the the ward dynamic sometimes of like. Yeah. They're not sure what to do. Do we need to go visit Gelly more often? You know, what do we do? <laughs> and yeah. Or obviously they need to go through their own journey of surrender and right. and whatnot. So any advice you give for a ward or relief society of like what should they do with that person who's in the middle of that chaos of addiction?
1: I would say the best advice would be and something i I'm learning myself still as I work with people who are struggling is love them wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Don't love them hoping for some certain outcome and only be there and continue to be there if you receive the outcome that you are expecting within the time frame you're expecting. Because our job is just to show up and love and love those who who will let us love them and love those who won't from afar and just love. Love free of judgment. And also maybe for those who are in the relationships, the family relationships with someone who's struggling, is, you know, there are other resources. Addiction is truly, it affects the whole family. And I believe it really is a family disease. And there is family services that have the family support meetings that go along with the 12-step meetings that can be really helpful huge. to help someone focus on mm-hmm. on their relationship with God and, and making sure that they're good spiritually because then they can be in a better position to know how to help and to fill the spirit and to know what the right thing is to do. So mm-hmm. so really focusing on on maybe getting help personally as well because I, th- I think the healthier we each are individually, the better yeah. we are able to help. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Anything you'd add as far as you know, when you finally get that apartment and you're yeah. a- anything else they need. I mean, I guess just make you part of the ward and
1: make you part of the ward just and else? not to treat, you know, someone differently. I guess I, I showed up really wanting to love people and they just loved me back. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any – I haven't felt the judgment from anyone. I've just felt people be excited for me. So I haven't had – I really feel like that people overall really do a wonderful job doing that. I think sometimes there's there's fear in our minds that people will judge us. But I think a lot of that is just in our minds. Yeah. Really what happens is, is a lot of love from I've people. noticed
2: too the more openly and vulnerably she shares, the closer people feel to her. And they don't seem to judge. In fact, the opposite. They're so – I think her story heals them too in some way. You know, everybody has some connection to somebody who's suffering in some way. And her story brings hope to a lot of people. And I don't, for whatever reason, her story too. the more honest, mm-hmm. well, the more honest that she shares, the more she's able to really, you know, connect with people. And, yeah. and you know, the end of her book, she writes, and, and I love the way she put this. And I share it probably once a week. Oh,
0: the end of her book is just I mean, I know, I'm just weeping as I'm reading I know. Like,
2: oh, I know. <laughs> Well, there's that moment when she's describing and I'll just paraphrase it. She might be able to quote it, but when she talks about this pile of rubble that she's mm-hmm. sitting in. And the moment I see it in my brain when she's there, she's probably meeting about to meet with the bishop and go, Here it all is, you yeah. know. But she's got this giant pile of rubble and she's describing it. It's like this my entire life, you know, is Basically, this is the disaster of my entire life. And I'm about to like, where in the world is God going to dig a big enough hole to bury all of this? Mm. And she says, he doesn't bury it. He used it to build bridges and roads and pathways and a whole new world for me. So that I could reach people who are still suffering. And that I think is so beautiful. She didn't have to hide it. She doesn't have to hide it. She talks very openly about her history and how she supported herself during this time and that she was homeless. And and I think that is one of her most powerful tools now when they say your weaknesses will become strengths. Her weaknesses absolutely and her husband too, which is so such an extra happy part of this yeah. story. Is we gotta she,
0: finish off the fairy tale when we get there. I know. So.
2: <laughs> but what an amazing thing that, you know, the story doesn't, it doesn't have to be buried, it doesn't have to be hidden. It can actually be the exact thing that draws other souls to God.
1: The atonement of Jesus Christ really lifts the shame. Mm-hmm. So there's no more shame. So there's no reason to, you know, pick up stakes and have to go move to a to a different place and pretend I was never the old me and then I could go on and live happily. No. The miracle is that this is what God did for me. I want to share what happened and I want to share it with the spirit, but people need to know because how will they know that the, about the miracle if they don't know what happened to yeah. us, to and our family? And
2: every time she shares, every time the spirit is so strong. I mean, I watched her share her story. We were in San Francisco for a uh, cousin's, I'm going to say husband's funeral. Mm. And there was a homeless man outside of the building when we were bringing kind of the food out and stuff we were packing up from the funeral. And there's a homeless man there and Kelly... Just begins to share to him and tell him he's loved, and I've been where you are, and you can heal and you can get better. And he was so overwhelmed with the spirit that he just—I mean—he started to cry. But then he said, "I have to leave. I have to leave." You know, it was almost so overwhelming; he didn't know how to handle the emotions that were that were flooding him. But it was the spirit. He was—he knew that what she was saying was true, and only she can say those words. I can't stand there and say I've been where you are, but she can say I've been where you are, and and that's powerful. Powerful stuff. So I think that's an incredible part, too. We don't have to hide it. Mm-hmm. There's not shame in it. I think the family doesn't see shame in it. The family is so grateful. I feel I'm so grateful to God and yeah. I'm so, you know, grateful that this is the ending, you know.
1: And so. I, I think some people say, well, what if, you know, but why did, it, why did it have to be so hard? What if she didn't choose that? And, but life is, is messy and this is, we're in the laboratory of life here. And, yeah. <laughs> It just is messy. There just are these hard things. It's never what we think it's going to be. But but addiction was my vehicle to Jesus Christ. It was the path, and it may have been something different, but it just wasn't. And I'm grateful for that. It's hard sometimes to reconcile the pain that it caused my children and those in my family. But at the same time, it is unbelievable to come to this part to be able to look back and and see what was happening all along
0: yeah wow and that's i mean because we all want to get in our delorean go back to seven-year-old right. kelly and, just, <laughs> and tell her parents like here's five therapists you right. to get well, let's fix this right now but and that's like the paradox of the god we worship right yeah. that there's so much pain and suffering in that journey with addiction but right. it's like and again it's like you wouldn't want to do another way but then you would but you know and that's <laughs> like the paradox it just doesn't fit in our our mortal and minds maybe,
1: but, maybe we don't have to be so afraid of the journey of yeah. returning to god Yeah. Maybe it's okay. You know, maybe the messy journey is okay. Like like it's surprising what God can do in long term difficult situations. And I believe had I there are many who lose their life, you know, Mm -hmm. but this is still happening on the other side. There are miracles and healing and the atonement still reaches those on the other side. So so this is it just might the end might come at a different time, you know, the the healing and the and the full circle of how that path is going. But that is still happening, I believe, on the other side.
2: Kelly's described to me this concept, and I, and I love it. It's beautiful. And She talks about rings of light, how certain pieces of our lives feel like uh, frayed endings. And she said, but at some point, it will come full circle, and there will be the other end will connect. And we'll see this beautiful ring of light of healing that comes. And for some, it will come in this life. We've seen some beautiful rings of light through Kelly's experience that have brought what seemed like these frayed endings in our world to healing, you know, just the journey of addiction itself was such a freight ending, but for some that will come as, you know, they enter the next life and at some point, but I believe that that's the beautiful part the atonement isn't just for the living, you know, it's eternal. And it's a perspective that if we have that, you know, then whatever happens, you know, is. Hard as it is to watch, and as crazy it is, God's always, always got us. So yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'd hate to frame it as take us to your happy ending, but because you're not even half <laughs> done with your life, so this isn't an ending. But bring us to modern day, and I mean, all the things that have happened, and oh. whatnot.
1: So. I am a newlywed. I'm married to my sweet husband. Who, Which we'll
0: probably hear his story, yes, right? He recorded yes, it. Yes. yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, Weston is, is on there, and he's also a recovering addict. has a very similar story to my own you know we tease that he's like the male version of me lots of <laughs> lots of drama lots of being out there on the streets you know he's he did more jail stints than i did so he beats me there but <laughs> but you know he really has had his own alma the younger experience and he's such a great example to me and it's been so you know especially coming into this youth community like as a single woman i was thinking i'm not sure what god's going to do with this <laughs> like how do you go into the dating world and then i run into weston who is literally the perfect match like it's and we get to now come together with our stories and we get to we both have a passion for sharing and we both have a passion for being addiction recovery missionaries and serving in this capacity and it's amazing we love it everything
2: they do it's their you know from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed you know, I think is it is it's, it's yeah. what's in their brains, it's what's in their heart, is sharing this message. It's such so a fun to
1: path to be on, and they laugh a lot, which
2: is
0: a lot so less great. drama in life. But <laughs>
1: there is a lot less drama. <laughs> I mean,
0: there's always there drama, is. but you know,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, we haven't. No one's been to jail for quite some time.
0: <laughs> well, let's keep that up. So.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah, so fun. God. Any other component we missed, or you
1: know, I would say, you know, some of it is still complicated just to put fam- the fam- family dynamic, you know, with kids and there are still some frayed endings mm-hmm. going on with relationships and things like that. But we've learned from this, you know, that that those frayed endings will come together. Mm-hmm. We have faith. We have so much, I think, more faith than we used to and a lot more patience in God's timing because we know that he will be able to, to heal things in the end. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I love that emphasis that You know, we want the Hollywood anywhere. All the fray endings are, you know, mended and it's great, Mm -hmm. but that's just the messiness of mortality that it's like redemption can still arrive, even though there's like difficult relationships or.
1: Absolutely. And
0: and you can't fix that trauma when only Jesus can. Right. And that's right. They're still on their vehicle to the Jesus Christ.
1: Exactly. And me too. Like I'm still in a process. Heather's still in a process. Our family's still in a process, but the difference is is that exercising faith in Jesus Christ. Now with that faith in him and understanding in that brightness of hope, it is an entirely new reality Mm -hmm. is absolutely an entirely new reality. It makes everything.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Heather, maybe just tell us about your relationship with your sister. Now, like just, it could be the boring, simple things or whatever (laughs) the, the low drama.
2: Well, I will say that Kelly has always had the most amazing sense of humor. So if you get to be around her, it's sometimes very cultful and fun, but <laughs> but <laughs> go the on. best part. The best part is just seeing her happy. It's seeing the joy that she gets to experience now. And she's married to, you know, another bundle of light and energy and positivity. And I think I never when you know when we were young and she was suffering so much in that mental space, whatever that was at the time, it was so hard to picture there would be any period of time long enough for her Mm -hmm. to stay in that happy space and to see her so joyful and so, you know, so happy is the true miracle. And I think that's so huge. You know, I, I found my own journey of the 12 step recovery around food and what you start to realize is it all boils down to, you know, it all boils down to Christ and finding him, you have an answer to everything, you know, whatever the struggle is. Yeah. So, and Mm -hmm. I think, it's so neat to see her being a messenger. It's like, I'm like, what has happened? We've often said it's upside down day. <laughs> it's upside down day. I went to the temple. I went to the temple. Kelly, we, we like, like to tone it
0: down a little <laughs> bit. Like, I don't, be... you think, don't you
1: think you can make it to the temple this weekend? I feel like we all need to go as sisters. I'm, like, I'm all covenants, people. Covenants. <laughs> <laughs> love
0: it.
2: It's awesome.
0: It's great. It's
1: awesome. It and is a, really and awesome. Yes. And she continues mm-hmm. to be herself through
2: it all, which is so fun, too, you know? <laughs> The yeah. funny, fun, bright light that she is. It's amazing to see God awesome. in yeah. that space.
1: So. Doesn't well, everybody need a Heather in their life, though? I think everybody well, needs do a I have... Kelly in their lives. So. All right. All right. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> We've learned a lot from each other. That's so.
0: cool. So Kelly, tell us if people want to check out your book. I highly recommend it. I mean... Thank you so what Thank obviously you. amazon has everything amazon but has
1: it um cedar fort publishing so cedar fort published it so you can find it on yeah. their website as well but it's she's also on read it too and i love listening to so like the Audiobo- audible yes. there's okay. an audible version yes. Yes. between what monsters voice? and
0: mercy between, between
1: and monsters and mercy yes
0: nice. yeah. awesome and is it, does it have your current last name on it maybe it,
1: it has actually has thompson on it oh okay it has, yeah
0: it has so my last. So you wrote it before it. you got married. So I did. If they're yes. confused, like, well, this is a Kelly book,
1: right? So. Yeah. So yes. Kelly Thompson, thanks. Awesome. For
0: and me. is that like a book? Like, is there a way? I mean, that'd be a great book for even a a church leader to it is. lend to someone else and so say, absolutely. "Why don't you? Yes. Absolutely, for someone and who's and,
1: struggling or for someone who has a family member who's mm-hmm. struggling. And I wrote it to be kind of a quick read, so I wanted people to be able, those who aren't big readers, to be able to mm-hmm. be able to digest it, like in a long afternoon, if they wanted to read it. So. So it's a good probably I've heard about four hour read for people. And
2: I and I think it's good to point out, too, that it's also there have been teenagers that have read it. Yes. Also, I've talked to friends and family and people that are around us and they said it's great for even that age. I would say it's a heavy topic, but she's kept it in a light that's. She's kept it very spiritual. Yeah. yeah. So there's it's a, it's six, a heavy topic. Yeah. So you'd want an older, yeah. maybe
1: fifteen mm-hmm. and older, depending on like yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and cool. maybe
2: read it first and see if it's appropriate for your child. Mm-hmm. But I think if anybody is dealing with addiction within the family, it's such a great insight to Or if the you're mind, just struggling an struggling
1: with their testimony, yeah. even too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So yeah. It's a great testimony builder.
0: Well, last question I have for you, I'll ask you Heather first and then we'll end with Kelly. But what final encouragement would you give to a room full of leaders? Or maybe even family members of who are just in the midst of those dark moments where they are saying those prayers that you once said, right? Uh, what final encouragement would you have?
2: I think I go back to the same thing as there was that moment. I felt like it was all a waste, all that energy I gave all that, all those little moments of teaching and showing up and trying to be there. I thought it was a waste, you know? And I think none of it's wasted. God makes use of every single moment. And if you are feeling prompted Listen to the Spirit. I think it's complex, sp- I and mean, it's a complex space. There's no doubt about it. Listen to the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you through those moments. But none of the love that we give to others is wasted. None of the love is wasted. And the, every little moment gives them just you know a possibility that there's a God out there. And sometimes they've forgotten that. Sometimes they forgot that they're loved. And sometimes they've forgotten that they're loved children of God. And all of those things give them just you know, just a glimpse in, and if they can, you know, have those moments, then when the time is right and they're ready, they'll know where to go. So nice. there's no waste in it.
0: It's Thank all, you.
2: It's
1: all worth it.
0: Yeah. So. Kelly, what final encouragement would you have from your from your perspective? I think to it, would the
1: be, leaders? it would be similar to what Heather said, but a little different. So I think it's really difficult to watch those who who we love or someone that we are trying to help. It's difficult to watch them struggle, but God, just as the good moments are never wasted, the pain is never wasted either. He's using all of it to help us. And so what might seem like the worst thing that could happen to somebody may actually be the best thing, the the vehicle that's bringing them to Christ. So I often tell people addiction is the best thing that ever happened to me because it brought me to my testimony. And I understand Christ and his atonement and his love for me because of it. So It seems a little radical to look at somebody struggling in that darkness and to think that might just be what they need to go through to find God. That would be none of that's wasted. The hard stuff isn't wasted either.
0: That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts. And maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about, the friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts? Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to LeadingSaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page. Or reach out to us at LeadingSaints.org slash contact. And remember, visit LeadingSaints.org recovering or click the link in the show notes to attend this virtual conference for free. It came as a result of the position
1: of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
2: and When the declaration was made concerning the only
1: true and living Church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.